Good Bottle Podcast. This episode, things that make you go, hmm. Uh, that's so appropriate. <laughs> How was your week off, Drew? Uh, it was exhausting. It was, both, brother. It was, it was exhausting, I think, um, you know, because we're both relatively new dads. Plus, you have a new business. I have a very time-consuming job. We just weren't able to come together last week and make this happen. So I'm excited that we're here now. We're doing it again. Another great Saturday night after a long day of different activities for the both of us. So we're gonna try to pick up the energy a little bit, but no, but no promises. <laughs> um, I think the only way to get the energy going is to pull out our spirit. Oh, look at that. And we are going to be drinking the Edradour 10-year. We've been meaning to do a scotch for a while. Have we not? And things just kept popping up. That's true. We did. We did uh, did a lot of rum. A lot of rum. What What else have we done? Which will continue. I don't know. I'd have to look at our We did, uh, with Chloe, we did some wine. We did some uh, ancient ancient pear brandy. Yeah. Yeah, but... um, That was everyone's favorite. I don't think that we've gotten into the scotches. That's true. So, yes, Edradour here is, um, it's a really fun distillery. And actually for the longest time they were known as kind of like one of the, like the smallest distillery in Scotland. That's changed. They, um, uh, Kilhoman actually was a, was a spot that ended up taking that, taking that title from them. And then there's like a new guy that has like a single still. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna say like over time, I assume that your just your distillery would, in theory, grow as your business grew, and then also. But here's know, but here's the someone thing. has a garage, right? But it's like these guys have been around since the early 1800s, and they didn't grow, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. And well, here's hoping the scotch is good then. Oh, the the scotch is great, man. Um, they do a really really phenomenal job. And they're actually owned by Signatory now, the independent oh, cool. bottler, and they're the and their distillery is actually more farm than anything else. Uh, it's in Perthshire, which is a very like farm driven community, and so it has like a white picket fence around the distillery and everything like that, which is really great. But they really didn't grow from from their start. They kind of they kind of held on to that, like they wanted to be the smallest one, so they never really increased production, never added stills or anything like that. And then eventually it just got to the point where, you know, again, you have Kilhoma starts in the early 2000s, and then you have this new guy that came out a couple years ago. There's like, there's no point in holding on to this. So they finally <laughs> set up additional stills, you know, making them exactly the way that their current ones are. They're real, they're pretty small stills, so it, it just does tend to be a pretty heavy whiskey. And they do a couple different expressions. So the one that we're drinking right now is their 10-year. This is kind of like their flagship I just like this as an everyday drinker. It's just super easy. It's affordable, and I, you know, I really dig it. They have a couple other specialty ones. They have the Belekin, which is a peated um, expression from then, and then they also do a Caledonia. And the Caledonia is really interesting because that's a twelve-year exclusively aged in just sherry barrels. So it's kind of a kind of a really fun. That's cool whiskey. So I mean, this is one that when people are like, "Hey, I don't know what to get somebody." I know they like scotch. I'm like, this is the safest bet. 
This is going to appeal to a Macallan drinker because it has a little bit of sweetness notes to it. There's some sherry, sherry barrel influence on it. But there's also, because smaller stills, it's getting a little bit thicker as well. Well, do you want to explain why that is? Well, so you're not... There's, there's less metal and like copper involved for um for like the liquid to like cling on to right so as it's rising through you're still and those vapors have to go either you know bigger and bigger less liquid is making it through when you have smaller stills that liquid has a much easier time getting through the entire process and so you come out what they would call a heavier distillate yeah a little bit more more of the oils right um, a lot a little bit more flavor. Yeah. Uh, it's less efficient in terms of stripping because of your less um, surface area. And so it's like, you know, it's kind of similar to what we've, what we've talked about before where you have like the arms of different stills, they're, whether they're at an upward angle or at a downward angle, you know, all these different factors that are playing in. Um, they're pretty, they're known as kind of being a really inefficient uh, distillery because they just do everything like so many old school ways. And I think that's really kind of charming about it as well. But this one's really fun. And again, I think this is something that you can pour for anybody and they're going to enjoy unless you feel differently. No, this, what is, do you think? this is really round. <laughs> it's really round whiskey. It's not, um, there's no like serious peaks or valleys on it. Yeah, and they do some fun barrel programs too where um, last year they released two single cast expressions. One was in a so turns cask. And the other one was in a sherry cask. Man, I'd like to taste that Sauternes cask. That's, that uh, sounds lovely. Good news, I have it. So, oh, look at that. I will, <laughs> I will get you some. <laughs> yeah, they did a really good job with that one, and the the sherry cask was really beautiful too. And when they do, you know, they do do a lot of sherry cask uh, finishes or just exclusive aging within Edredour. But I thought what's interesting about them is that they only use them um, at most two times. That is interesting. So, yeah. and as we've discussed before on the show, sherry casks are excessively expensive, and they're only getting worse. Mm -hmm. So, you yeah, because sherry's actually selling sherry now, and not just selling their barrels. Or, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's that. There's that. And people yeah. are actually like, wait a minute, we like these sherry whiskeys so much, maybe. Mm -hmm. We should look into. I've actually seen people like have conversations about like they didn't really know what sherry was. They just thought it was some whiskey flavoring agent. Oh, that's funny. Isn't that just ridiculous? Uh, but that's going to be a theme today. Poor souls, <laughs> not knowing things. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's why we're here, man. You're just playing yourself at that point in time. If you don't know what sherry is and you haven't had it, like just go get some. It's I, so good. I think I was I, any any kind, any of the kinds. Just make sure that you're paying like over ten bucks a bottle for it. There is a little bed and breakfast deal in Carmel that my wife and I stayed at that part of like the room decor was a bottle of sherry that you could pour and enjoy Dope. for yourself, which was just like, what Dope. a fun touch that was. Uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine and I stayed at a um, bed and breakfast in, uh, in the Mission in San Francisco and in the common area in the living room of the B&B. There was the two decanters that uh, the host kept filled, one with port and one with one with sherry, which are just it's wins, great. right? That's just great. And then when you like, what I've come to learn about ports is for a long time I actually didn't enjoy them because I thought they were too sweet. Mm -hmm. But my exposure was to Californians doing ports, 
Oh, yeah, which is not, you know. Which important. is not important. Um, <laughs> and then when I got actually introduced to Ports, I was like, oh, my God. Like, these are great. And then Madeira's as well. Um, there's just so much. Yeah, you've been on a Madeira kick lately. It's it's troubling at times. Not to me. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, you know, I think you fall down these rabbit holes and then your your palate just kind of goes, this is just what I'm craving all the time. Right. You know? Yep. And then I'll be on to something else in a few months. I don't know. But right now, yeah, dude. Yeah, I've been drinking a lot of whiskey myself and it usually comes about this time of year. And within the next couple months, it's going to make a sharp left turn into agave again for, for agave season. So is it like single malt whiskey, bourbon whiskey, or just whiskey in general? Just whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like the whiskey that malt caramel malt is is like a thing that I I don't know just have been I don't know hankering for you know uh, and it kind of from day to day anywhere on that on that whiskey uh, whiskey line yeah of like you know sweet and fruity to you know deep spicy to you know salty any of those uh, just change from day to day but like that malt has been a thing for the last couple of months for me. Yeah, I was drinking some uh, single malts tonight. One of them was from Austin, Texas. It was called like an Appaloose mm-hmm. uh, something uh, distillery. It was cool. It was a uh, really, really fun whiskey. And then I switched over to the Milk and Honey and just really had too many glasses of that. <laughs> I've been enjoying the Milk and Honey myself. That's a, that was a, that was a, a great one. That was, I appreciate you introducing that to me. Yeah, the so for Milk and Home is a, that single malt from Israel, which yeah. again, like get out there and find those different weird stuff. There's just so much, there's so many cool things and so many people making cool whiskeys. Um, but we're gonna move away from that. We're obviously gonna continue to sip on the. Let's dive right into our headlines. Yeah, let's jump true. into it. Um, <laughs> so one thing we want to talk about is the coronavirus. Oh, can we please talk about the coronavirus? I mean, it's everywhere. We're all going to die. As alcohol pundits, as we have been labeled. Self, self-labeled. No, no, no. Someone told you that. Oh, correct. Yeah. So it was somebody else, but now we're using it. We're running with it. I like it. Alcohol pundits. We have to give our two cents on this, but not in the way that you think. <laughs> there was a survey done by 5W Public Relations of 737 people, out of those people, 40% will no longer drink Corona beer for the fear of potentially getting the coronavirus. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, uh, I feel awful for those poor souls in the rest of their life, but is this a win for them ultimately, regardless of the fact that uh, they're wrong? The fact that maybe they discover new beer and not Corona. <laughs> maybe they just moved to Pacifico. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dos Equis? I don't, <laughs> Dos Equis I don't know. I, I just, it's, this is obviously a level of ignorance that is, to a certain degree, I admire it. Because I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I'm like, God damn, how dedicated are you <laughs> to, to not being, just to being dumb that you're just like, yep, this is clearly, a, oh, it started in China? Yeah. Huge Mexican beer drinkers over there. You know? <laughs> just... All the leaps that you have to take in order if they to make that work. That uh, the coronavirus is a uh, bioweapon that was inserted into Corona beer to attack Americans. 
Maybe. <laughs> There's some crazy shit out there, man. Um, that's a. That's a. <laughs> did I just start a um, conspiracy theory? Absolutely. I mean, oh, man, you just run I could do right those now. all day long. So the uh, <laughs> if you get like more into the numbers of, of this, it just it just gets better, right? Like uh, of that forty percent, fourteen percent, or like out people that would that would still drink Corona, they just said that they wouldn't order it in a public place. <laughs> <laughs> just what? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. What's you don't because you don't know where those Coronas have been. <laughs> That's the thinking. Like oh, you can, lovely. you can go buy it at the store, take it home, disinfect it, <laughs> wipe wipe the cap down, wipe the caps down. <laughs> Stunt, but you don't know what they're doing at a bar, right? Holy shit, that's it's fantastic. just harboring viral diseases. And then, um, then there was sixteen uh, percent of beer drinking Americans were confused about whether Corona beer is related to the coronavirus. <sighs> so. You know, they were, I think, you know, in that group, they were, like, trying to, you know, I guess, not necessarily just, like, immediately believe that Corona has something to do with it, but they weren't entirely sure. <laughs> they just didn't know. Yeah. They didn't want to be wrong in the question. But, but good for them, because I think, you know, so often you see these situations where people get asked questions that they, they legitimately don't know anything about it, you know. And there was a group here that fit this category where they just gave answers, and then there was another group here that was just kind of like, well, I mean, I could, you know, to their mind, like, maybe this makes sense, but this doesn't make sense, right? And they asked that question. So, I don't know. It's uh, all the stupid stuff. I want to know heard. where this sample was taken from. Did, did the uh, research uh, display that? Did, did it offer that up? No, no, but I will say this, the beer brand's purchase intent among American adults has dipped to the lowest in two years, according to data from YouGov. So they're like actually feeling a hit here, Corona is, from the coronavirus. And I think, you know, if if this does kind of end up going the way that it's going in most of the world right now, like we're all going to take a hit, right? Yeah. Because you're talking quarantines, you're talking just, you know, all this crazy shit that could happen where, I mean, for our business, it's going to be really bad. Yeah, people won't but, go out and won't enjoy right. each other's company. Right. So, it's um, it's crazy. And and even InBev is warning, is, is saying that they're going to have potentially up to $170 million profit loss oh my God. due to the coronavirus um, I hope that they have some really entertaining um, counter ads, like like uh, counter information that comes out quickly, uh, like TV commercials, YouTube ads, yeah, whatever on Facebook. Maybe they get some of that Bloomberg money, you know? Yeah. It just <laughs> and they just really... tie those two together. <laughs> just... <laughs> you want to drink your Corona? Vote for Mike. Well, I think you'll <laughs> I... get it done. <laughs> I think that you know the. Especially heading into the summer season, you know, Corona's, that's a big time for them. It's going to be, you know, so hopefully they get it figured out. I have heard that, you know, it could potentially be a situation where it kind of dies, kind of dies down during the summer. Like, the you don't hear too much about the virus, but then it can spring back 
in the winter time, like when colds become a thing again. So, but by then nobody's drinking Coronas, so it's too cold. I think it'll be fine. Hey, every time a, a friend hugs another friend, Corona gets its lime. Oh my gosh. Let's move the fuck on from that. Uh, <laughs> just can't do it. On to another, you know, kind of head turner. But something we've talked about before, just like the uh, ridiculous growth that hard seltzers have seen in the American marketplace. Yeah, if it wasn't for coronavirus, now seltzer is trying to kill corona. Yeah, and um, they're now seeing, you know, some of the numbers coming back from 2019 that hard seltzers has now passed pale ale consumption That's for the restaurant on-premise world. And before people start tweeting at me, I already know Corona is not a pale ale. Leave me alone. <laughs> Don't at me. <laughs> uh, good, yeah. Make sure you establish that. But, yeah, so, you know, your, your White Claws and all these different ones that continue just to grow. And the finding is that a lot of... Beer drinkers, they described them as fickle, which I thought was hilarious and totally appropriate for beer drinkers. That's apt. Um, they are more and more are, are jumping into spirits and, and things like that. But uh, almost like a gateway is these hard seltzers. That their qualities that are similar to cocktails and stuff like that, but not quite cocktails. So that's... Why is it not a cocktail? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's, I guess that's a that's a deep dive for a pontification later. later yeah, life, I mean, but. I guess you could say that. I mean, we have plenty of we know plenty of people who've done like their cocktails in the cans and stuff like yeah. that, and that's what this stuff pretty much yeah, it's is. RTD. It's I mean, but it's it's doing that now for you. I saw some new cans downstairs with a dog on them. What are those? Oh hell yeah, those are from uh, Salt. Uh, salt cocktail company. They're um, delicious. We've got a we've got a, a gin, um, essentially a gin ricky, and a and a, uh, a greyhound. In, so in a can. So you're getting on this hard seltzer trend then? Oh yeah, give me all that money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with with the growing, I know we, and we you know we kind of touched on this the last time that we were talking about just like the growth in general. But is it getting to a point, and it seems like it is. That you just can't ignore it, you know. What? Well, what? Well, yeah, I mean, some of it is silly, and I get that. Like the the no laws because of white claws, whatever dumb fuckery. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's obviously silly, right? But the, why would you ignore it? It's it's delicious. It's, you know, right. like vodka soda's not been a thing for ever. I mean, come on. I think you're right. I mean, it's just, yeah, because of some of the tomfoolery that's involved with it is is going to translate. And I do still think that there's kind of like that guilty pleasure aspect to it. But now you're outselling pale ales. Yeah, that's great. That's insane. (laughs) That is pretty insane. I mean, especially seeing how long... Pale Ale has been crushing uh, the beer market in the last 15 years, you know, and it's just, it's been steady. It's yeah. been a constant. You know, right. it's like, what new IPA is coming out? What new Pale Ale is coming out? Now it's hazy IPAs. you got sour IPAs. Like, what other sort of, you know, uh, uh, 
interesting flavor are they going to come up with? But no, no. Fuck that. Let's just go with sodas. Hard sodas. That's great. I like it. And that came out of nowhere. No one saw that trend coming. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, Or I certainly didn't. And maybe I just had my head in the sand. No, I would say most people didn't. I mean, you saw just that, I mean, it became like an allocated case (laughs) last year, which was crazy. Allocated white cloth. Yeah, allocated white cloth. (laughs) Do you have to now sell, uh, you have to sell a certain amount of pale ale in order to get your allocation of of white cloth? I mean, it can't be that far (laughs) off, you know. So, because it's dominated by a few people right yeah. now. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like you have like your truly, mm-hmm. then you have, yeah, the White Claw. I'm not sure who else would be like the other big player in the hard seltzer game. But there's got to be one more. There's got to be one more. Um, I don't pay that much attention. I just, I look for, I mean, you know, that's not stuff I carry, you know, because it's, you find it at, at the grocery store. Pretty easily at Rite Aid, pretty easily. So yeah. it's not, it doesn't really fit my narrative, but I do. You know, I, I carry the delicious stuff, the delicious RTDs that are. I'm more than happy to put my name behind. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, just from again from the industry standpoint, it's something that there really is that demand there, and retailers, suppliers, distributors. There's an opportunity, right? There, you want to have those things. You, it makes sense. So. Even if you start maybe doing your own, or like you said, you can maybe you can find some elevated offerings kind of in that same realm. If somebody comes in, they're like, hey, can I get a White Claw? It's like, we don't have White Claw, but I have this right. instead. You know, so it is something important to take note of because, I mean, I feel bad for some of our friends who might have been too early to the game, it seems like, with like the canned cocktails and, and things like that. But it because now it's grown so rapidly. Just who knows where this could go at this point. I mean, the, right. the, the, yeah. heading into the summer months, seeing the numbers that they did last year, like what could potentially be the limits now? Because now you have variety packs. You're, you're definitely going to have new flavors that are coming out this year. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, again, kids, stock up on your hard seltzers. Maybe that's one of the things that you should have for your quarantine. Just, <laughs> you know. just sell them. Just, yeah. get them. just get them ready. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you could even vintage them. And you can do vertical tastings of Trulies. Oh, man. I was talking with somebody the other day that they had a, um, they had a menu board up, and it said vertical tasting. And it was for tequilas. And it was different. It was a Blanco, Repo, and Añejo. But then they were from different companies. What? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, just thinking to myself, I was like, well, not only did you kind of miss... The boat on the vertical tasting, like yeah. even through your misinterpretation, like you still botched it. Man, I uh, I really let in with the right right reaction for this uh, podcast today, dude. I'm telling you, it oh, was great. It is perfect. I mean, it's just fucking head turners everywhere you look because people just don't know what they're doing. So <laughs> I guess I guess the way we're the only people that are left that know what we're doing. Um, <laughs> Which isn't true at all. Uh, save the world. Uh, okay, so moving on, we are uh, going to jump into the world of agave, which we all know is one of our favorite things in the world, and uh, talking about Jose Cuervo. Mm, favorite thing in the world. Yeah. And um, 
some of its growth and also some of its decline. Whereas like they're seeing more consumption, but the profits aren't necessarily matching that. And that has to do with the increasing of agave pricing in general. Yeah, I was really interested by the story. Uh, I, um, I mean, if you if you take a company that's a behemoth like uh, like Cuervo, and you see that they're struggling with with pricing on agave, um, it doesn't bode well for anybody else. I, except for what I will say, it, it makes a strong argument for for um, estate agave spirits. Well, one thing that and, they and they, they brought up was the premiumization of just the category as a whole, mm-hmm. right? So you start taking into effect, you know, my favorite topic in the entire world, celebrity spirits. They do tend to gravitate towards tequila because it's a very, it's an easier entry point than most things when it comes to the spirits world, right? In terms of familiarity, cost, stuff like that, throwing their name behind it. You have people... Like Oprah Winfrey and Ryan Seacrest with the Casa de Dragones or whatever, you know. Then of course you have George Clooney and all these different things. So you have... is Oprah behind Casa Dragon? She's one of them. Oh, I did not know that. Um, no wonder so... I see it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So when Cuervo they're talking about, okay, you have this, you know, again, this tequila being elevated and the premiumization of it, it's getting harder and harder for them to get stuff and to get agave, and so people are. Harvesting agave earlier when it's not yeah, fully mature, not, not ready to go. Um, this, of course, leads to all kinds of issues. Whether it just be like you know the lack of biodiversity, which tequila already suffers from, mm-hmm. but then additionally, you're adding sugar to compensate for that. So you're getting these lower quality products. Um, well, Cuervo Gold already had sugar added to it, right? I mean, and that's obviously not what we're talking about. We're talking about their, we're talking about their blancos, the repos, and. Uh, they're they're hundred percent agave, yeah, hundred percent Weber Blue agave line, yeah. So um, tequila matchmaker, mm-hmm. which is an app we both have a lot yep. of affinity Use it for, all the time. is they put out this little chart um, a few months back, and they were just talking about kind of what a tequila should cost. Based on today's like rates and stuff like that, and if it's quote unquote done the right way, mm-hmm. right? So this is for one liter, um, traditionally made, hundred percent agave blanco tequila sold in the USA for this is the production cost. Fifty cents goes to freight, sixty percent goes to harvest and transport, one dollar to distillery, dollar fifty to the importer, two dollars to packaging, two dollars and ninety cents to the excise tax, five dollars and forty three cents. Um, for the distributor, $6.16 for the retail markup, $10.70 for the agave itself. So if it's everything's going according to plan and you're going to get yourself a quality tequila, $30.97 is the lowest that you should be paying for... For quality. For quality. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I mean... Before reading that, I always I always sort of had a uh, you know strike one strike two sort of rule about uh, agave spirits. Um, I think it's just it's hard to find really any any booze out there that doesn't cut corners in some way. And it's it's great when you find find them that, that don't. There are plenty that don't cut corners, and that's awesome. But in like the agave world, you know, we have diffusers, 
right? We have centrifuges. We have, we've got everything. Um, so for for diffusers, uh-huh. can you describe what goes into a diffuser process so people at home can be like, oh, that's what diffuser means? Um, yeah, maybe you you should do that because uh, I feel like I'm going to mess this up. But I, I know I know when we're talking about diffusers, we're um, we're we're talking about um, the extraction process. Yeah, right? so it's uh, of, be, the agave, of the agave juice. Yeah, hot, high pressure water. Steam. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's steam bath, right? In a pressure cooker, essentially. Okay. Except it's not a pressure cooker. It's like a, it's a, yeah, it's hot water, that's then under pressure. Correct. I think the autoclave is the more. The autoclave. Sorry, and that's why I wanted you to correct me. So yeah, the autoclave the is, is the just going to be like this shredding of the agave with this really hot water so you you can imagine that it's also kind of diluting the product a little bit but you get huge yields out of it right so when you actually taste this stuff it literally tastes watered down it yeah like it's it's a very watered down product um if you consider yourself a tequila aficionado you're somebody who is pretty much going to be anti diffuser mm-hmm. and no anti autoclave. And... Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of people out there who will give the autoclave a pass mm-hmm. if it still tastes good. Sure, you know, and price well, I mean, point. You can price kind of, point. You can kind of give anything a pass as long as it still tastes good, right? But yeah, I, but I think where a lot of people view the diffuser is it's done more harm than good for the agave world because again. You're able to produce a lot more product because there's just so much more liquid involved now, mm-hmm. and but it's low quality, and so but people see it as like again this is a this is an easy way to get in. Yeah, you're cutting you're stuff. cutting corners, and, that, and that's yeah. what kind of what I was getting to was, you know, when, whenever you cut corners, uh, like I give the first corner a pass, second time I'm like, okay, this is yeah, this is enough. Yeah. Um, uh, I get that, like again, because we're talking about we're talking about these increasing costs. Like you got to find a way to stay alive. You got to find a way to feed your families and and what have you. But there's there's only so much leeway I'm personally willing to give you when I'm spending my money on something. Right, and I feel and it's not it's also not my job as a consumer or a retailer to defend your product. Yeah, I think that's one thing that a lot of people underestimate and. You know, when I see new products come to the table and like you know I see like people getting excited about them and stuff like that and you're like but it's it's a completely crappy way of making it yeah you know and to me I mean like autoclave I don't know if my palate's to the point where I can really distinguish between autoclave and brick oven mm-hmm. for the cooking process but a diffuser is so distinct. Yeah, and it's so for my for my personal palate. I think for a lot of people out there, it's so off putting that when I see it, I just can't I can't even stomach it now because it's just it's so so bad. Yeah, it's it's real bad. Like and and it's amazing to hear some of these companies kind of not talk about it, and then oh, of course they don't want to talk about it. And their brand ambassadors are really entertaining because the mental and verbal gymnastics that they go through <laughs> to talk about their product without ever mentioning the diffuser is like, wow, that is exceptional coaching right there that you're able to get through this conversation and, and not do that. And 
you know, with that coming kind of coming back to to the article, I mean, diffusers just aren't top shelf products for the most part. You know, you're not seeing anything that's that's like that. But even when it comes to the autoclave stuff, it's amazing how much it varies. And don't get me wrong, like there can be, you know, brick oven tequilas that aren't good. You know, that's not a guarantee. But it's a way to kind of get to that point. Right, and, yeah, and it's, again, it's, it's like, a step in tradition. Yeah. Uh, and so you can, you, it helps at least the conversation. And then in coming back to like the tequila matchmaker, you know, if you haven't downloaded that app on your phone, do it because do this... It. You can look up any tequila, and you can find out exactly how it's made, and um, what else they make, and what else they make. So for fun, yeah. So if somebody's pretending like they built a brand new distillery, yeah, and are supplying a, a whole new town full of full of people who are supporting this distillery. You mean like the Pebble? Oh, I'm sorry, the Rock. The Rock. Oh yeah, and you can find out that they're full of shit. Just so disappointing. That was pretty disappointing. I was really wanting that to work and the way that they portrayed it. So what's really interesting you know, for our listeners at home is that every tequila has an assigned number. And this, this nom that you're able to look up is NOM. Yeah, NOM. You're, you're able to you know identify, again, like what's made there, how it's made, what's the process and stuff like that. What I didn't realize until very recently, and this is exactly what they're doing, is you can be at a certain nom – but you can petition the CRT to give you your own nom within the nom. Yeah, that that was really interesting when you um, and like slightly heartbreaking when you told me that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just just to like obfuscate the the truth just a little bit more, just to be even even more shady. Yeah. That's what he did. Yeah. So pretty, like that's pretty shitty. So like this little corner of this huge distillery. Well, it makes is, me, it may, now it like brings into question how many others are doing that. Which, there's so many. There's so many, right? There's so many. And, and it just makes it that much harder to figure it out. Because then now yeah. you've got to do a deep dive of research between like, okay, what's the address? Yeah. And let's go look up the address. You can't just look at the nom. Right. Which is the entire point of having of having that number system. Right. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly misleading. And I think that, you know, with a lot of this different stuff and... You know, and I, we still haven't got to try it, so we'll try it. And we'll see, you know, kind of what we think of it. But it's just it sucks, and I just and I also feel that when I see certain products on people's back bars, I'm like, oh, you're trash. <laughs> <laughs> you even try it, and then okay, so here's here's an interesting here's an interesting note. So I, you know, I went into the app, I looked up something. So I looked up the Casa Dragons. That one actually is diffuser. Sure. So you have a very expensive diffuser tequila. Now, with lots of names who have to make their money off of it. Yeah, when this one comes out of the nom, the 1489. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to click on 1489. Um, it's in it's in Jalisco, and it's taking its sweet time loading up. Which is 90, 90% of the uh, yeah tequila tequila production is, comes from Jalisco. Let's see if there's anything else I recognize coming from them. There's one that's called Tequila Hashtag, so you know it's good. That's amazing. Um, that I want to try. I don't care if it hits diffuser juice. <laughs> yeah, so they're being produced at a facility that produces over 30 different brands. I mean, and, and anybody can do it. It's like similar to MGP, 
right, in Indiana. Sure. Where there, I mean, you and I go back and forth. Like, we don't have a problem with source juice. Yeah. That's, that's not the problem, right? The, yeah. The problem is hiding the truth, lack of transparency, right. lack of quality. Right. Yeah, and lack of ethics. Let's see. Yeah, there's just... There's just all kinds of weird stuff here I've never seen before. I will tell you, I'm enjoying drinking your scotch, Drew. (laughs) Well, that's good. We do have that going for us, and they're legit. Um, There's also uh, ratings on Tequila Matchmaker, and it's super fun. And uh, it's not only just like the cooking and crushing that will tell you about it, but they also have like the still type, how many times it's distilled, what their fermentation methods are. Um, it'll show you where tequilas were previously made, and then so you can kind of really go down these different, you know, rabbit holes. Of, yeah, it's uh, it's an amazing resource. And I know I think we have talked about it where Grover, who made this app, is trying to do one for Mezcal, and I just can't even imagine the nightmare that that must be. Sure. To try to have something that's even somewhat uh, just functional i mean how yeah how do you do it yeah. mezcals do have noms so there is this kind of base for it but then when you start getting into like the details of the production that's when it's going to change so much and and i think it will be interesting because you do have a lot of guys who are producing for multiple brands and people just don't know because we don't have those resources to no well because i mean at least at least with tequila and 90 percent of it coming out of Jalisco, that is one state, right? right. Yeah. Oh, which the and consolidation of that makes it really easy to go door to door and, and just go, hey, how's it yeah. going? Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? But with agave, we're talking, you know, in the middle of the mountains, in the middle of desert, like like all over the place. Right. You know. Yeah. From, I mean, from border to border. Yeah, four more states that you're considering. I mean, and now... You're starting to see um, things change within the industry. So, Real Monero, one of our brands that we have, they're dropping mezcal from their name they're because getting, they don't want to, they don't want to pay into the uh, they don't want to pay their whatever their taxes for it on this to the CRM. Mm-hmm. I think I mean I'm sure there's multiple reasons for it, but that but yeah they're dropping mezcal from their name. So then. If you're someone like Grover, what the hell do you do in that situation? Sure. You know, this Mezcal app that you just came up with, is it now an Agave Distillate app? You know, because the other thing is... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's what I'm talking about, man. It's just that, you know, and then, and it just makes it hard on buyers too, right? Because you're a bar owner and you're seeing more and more of these... Companies come in with mezcals and stuff like that, and you know they're just trying to fill quotas and, and sell these different things. If that person doesn't know about it, which more often than not is the case, like most of their portfolio, you start talking about weird stuff. It's just it it's gonna get so muddy. I just hope that somebody can create something that makes it easier for people to kind of do it the same way that. And I know again, Grover's working on this. He did it to kill the matchmaker, but who knows if he'll ever be able to get. The mezcal one off the, off the floor. Yeah, well, hopes and prayers, man. Hopes and prayers. <laughs> hopes and prayers. Um, okay, so 
kind of covers our stories, but one thing that you wanted to talk about was John Crowder. Yeah, so so we have a friend who wrote a cocktail book, and that wouldn't normally be a thing that we actually gave a fuck about, but <laughs> he did something. He did something pretty great with this. He uh, he, it's called Gonzo Bartending. You can find it on Amazon, and the uh, the concept behind it was he wrote each um, chapter as if he were uh, invoking uh, Hunter S. Thompson. And so each each chapter follows a different character, and each character sort of represents a different style of drink. Which and, is, that's super fun. And in that, reading the story, then you kind of learn the different ways in which you can play Mr. Potato Head with different cocktails while being entertained by some great storytelling and... Um, Really clever writing, so I I definitely wanted to give a tip of the hat to to uh, John for this and and suggest people go out there and you know support artists and people trying to do something unique and cool and different. Um, it's it's digital download, so go ahead and do that. It's really easy. I, I don't even think it's really expensive. Um, no, I'm trying to so. find it right now, and we should have done this before because. <laughs> It'd have been great to be like, "Hey, go to this page right here." Yeah, if you just if you just search Gonzo bartending on on Amazon, you'll be able to find it. Uh, I'm uncertain of the cost. That's that's the only thing. Uh, I was lucky enough to get my copy for free because uh, scandal. John gave me the hookup, man. It's a, it's a nice part about being friends with artists, you know. Is that you take advantage of them and give them exposure? Is that what you're saying? No, no, that I just take advantage of them. So, the exposure is, you know, whatever. Who cares? So, <laughs> I was able to find it, yeah. So, Gonzo Bartending, a reflective speculation of Edward Crow. Um, and uh, learn how to substitute, manipulate, and create your own craft cocktails in this book compiled of short stories from my days behind the bar and things I've learned along the way. It is $0 if you're a Kindle Unlimited member. Oh, cool. However, if you are not a Kindle Unlimited member, it is going to cost you a grand total of $3. So That seems like a steal. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have it at the low cost of free. It's, yeah, do, you yeah, think yeah. It, do you think it's definitely worth $3? It's definitely worth $3. Man, you guys, go out, get it. Three dollars. I'll just I'll show up to John's shift and I'll tip him three extra dollars instead of making me <laughs> making him wait to get it from Amazon. So again, Gonzo bartending. I mean, if you're a Hunter S. Thompson fan, you got your you're gonna get your fix there. You're gonna learn some uh, learn. Some, you're gonna have fun and learn, which is always a difficult task. It is, but an exciting one. Yeah. Plus, uh, we had, we had a lot of other homies who helped helped him out. Um, offered offered their words of advice for him uh, on this project so good um, Sweet. yeah awesome uh some some last minute housekeeping too we have our i guess first event that we're a part of coming yeah. up on... yeah some dummies asked us to judge a cocktail competition <laughs> uh yes so our friends over at honey and the trap cat which is in old town sacramento are hosting a Nonino cocktail competition. Yeah. Which is awesome. Uh, I, I think it's great. I love Nonino. Yeah. I love 
everything Nonino does. In fact, I have three different Nonino products on my shelf right now. Yeah, they are pretty solid. You have, uh, so Hunting the Trap Cat is a new bar. It was opened up by a couple friends of ours. And so they're, they're doing this as their first cocktail competition. And um, it's going to be on Sunday, March 8th at 6 p.m. Love this start time. You know, it's way before my bedtime. So I'm super excited yeah, about that. Uh, Hunting the Trap Cat can be found at 1023 Front Street in Sacramento. So if you guys want to come out, please do. You can also, I think they're still looking for competitors as well. So um, Yeah, if you, you like Nonino and you want to you make a little, little cheddar. Yeah, so we'll be out there um, judging and uh, giving judging. Cr- giving critiques. Look at the baby. Look at the baby. So I know both of us have judged a pretty good amount of cocktail competitions. Yeah, I judge officially and unofficially on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. So as do I. Now, <laughs> now for you, what? It, it, and everyone is different, right? And they actually sent us kind of like how they want us to score and stuff like that, which is really helpful. In, Super in helpful. Ways. So yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about this many times. Yeah. So it's like, because you want to have some sort of structure with it. And then you do want the, the rules clearly defined. But at the end of the day, it's still supposed to be fun. It yeah. should be enjoyable. You don't want people taking it too seriously, right? Yeah, but, but, but having transparent rules always makes people feel like they can have a little bit more fun. Right. Because everybody is on the same page. So with all that being said, is there is there anything that that you see like in competitions that that's always kind of like a like a deal breaker for you? Or I mean, do you know that Yeah, really, really poor bartending technique. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I and my understanding for this competition is we we're gonna be sequestered. So it won't be a popularity contest. We won't see anybody making their drinks. They're just going to come to us and we'll be in a private room talking shit all amongst ourselves. That's great because I can say that I have a really hard time with my personal bias. <laughs> you know? So if someone just walks up and goes, mm, already don't like you. Yeah. Fail. Like, like I was thinking about it. I was just like, if there's someone I don't like, I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm going to be a little bit harder on you. I just know I'm going to be. Uh-huh. And then if I, if I have like a friend in it, I'm kind of like, I'm like, oh, I like to see my friend win. Like, <laughs> you know, I still try to be critical and, and stuff like that. And I'm the opposite be. of like, if it's someone who I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's give him a hand up. If it's a friend of mine, I'm like, oh, this motherfucker knows better. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That that is fair, but I think I think it'll be fun. I you know I really enjoy um, the space that they've put together, yeah. And if we in the place is huge, so we could definitely be hidden in multiple places and not see <laughs> what's happening because it's such a huge venue. Yeah, yeah. I just hope Brian puts us in the liquor room. Uh, yeah, that is it's cool. that'll that'll make our judging a lot more accurate. Yeah, that's a cool room too. That's like really it. cool. Actually. I like how they have it. I like how they have it set up. Um, and so, yeah, so again, it's going to be at Hunting the Trap Cat, uh, Sunday, March 8th, Old Town, Sacramento, 6 p.m. Uh, come see us judge anywhere from 10 to 16 different competitors, which I hope it's not 16, just because that's a lot of people. It's yeah. a lot of cocktails to try. Um, it should be a lot of fun, though. And, uh... It is just a cool spot, so come on out. And I don't think anyone's done. Yeah, and Brian knows how to throw a party too, so so it should be a good time. He is good at that. Um, so with that said, it is time to move on to our ongoing segment, our last segment oh. of of today, and it is our 
Brad stories. I've got one. Okay, so before we get to that, I saw Brad this week. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't been drinking the month of February. So he looks great. I, I asked him if he was sick. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't. He's just taking a break from drinking. So he's looking great. Good for him. And earlier this week, Mr. Peters liked our podcast oh, on Facebook. Did. So we already know he's listening. We th- well maybe or maybe he just did it. Oh, maybe he just liked it just to No, I have this theory and this was going to be one of the stories that I I said and um and that that was Brad's the the type of person who uh will listen and never tell you that he's listening. Just to see what happens. Just to see what we'll keep going. Because he's a manipulative fuck like that. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to rule it out at all. Okay, so what? what is the Brad story? Okay, so my week? Brad story is a, is a new one. Ooh. Facebook this week released those, uh, those friend quizzes. I... What? Uh, so, so, friends... On Facebook that you've been friends with for a while. Okay. Uh, that you have multiple things in common with that you've been tagged in photos together and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, you take a, a, a short quiz about each other and you can like kind of challenge each other to see who knows each other better. How did I miss this? I don't know. That and I've done I've done multiple with multiple friends and uh, another I did another busy busy week. That's right. <laughs> I did one with Bradley. Okay. That motherfucker scored a 20% on our quiz. Oh my god. What'd you score? 80. Significantly better. I know. But when you, guys come, when you guys come together, though, it's 100%. So. No, he drags me down. <laughs> I feel like it's a minus 20. Uh, that. But he did it, though. That's like, I think that's the most impressive thing about the story. Wait, he tried? Yeah. There's no A for effort in this story. There's absolutely... Especially when you fail. So you literally got maybe one question right. Can you give me an example of like, what are these questions? So the questions are like, um, how many photos have you been tagged in together? Well, who the fuck's going to know well, that? Well, it's multiple choice. All okay. Right. I'm All right. already off. Uh, which, which photo on Facebook was the first one that you appeared together in? And so it shows you all the photos? Yeah. And they show you, they show you a series of photos. And you I would just be like, where, how much hair does Chris have? <laughs> See? That should have been even easier. <laughs> just be like. That might have been the only one he got right. <laughs> like, all right. That's the one. I don't know, man. Like, I. No, this isn't the give. Give Brad uh, a freebie segment. This is the this is the Brad's a terrible person. Segment. I mean, it's still yeah. I mean, especially if you're getting eighty percent and he got twenty. Come on. I mean, that is. I mean, he hasn't been drinking. He's he's sick. He's wasting away. <laughs> I gotta. Apparently, don't have friendships here. I'm not. I don't know if I've seen this. Um, well, well, there. Well, there you go. Uh, as always, Brad sucks. Um, but, uh, but, hey Brad, ask me about my podcast. Yeah, dude, we're actually, we're going to get those, we're going to get those shirts made, but they're going to say, ask me about my friend's podcast. Yeah. And then we'll do the, the, then Good Bottle will be inside of the shirt. So you have to do, you have to flash people. You have to do the Billy Madison. Oh, that's lovely. Frank shirt. 
Because um, yeah. I've had multiple people be like, that's a really good idea for a shirt. I was like, really? Because we were, okay, yeah, let's do it. Um, but yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. Give us that five-star review. Share it with your friends. Yeah. Tell everyone to come be on. To um, all of our uh, our uh, longtime listeners, we've got some presents on the way for you. So do we? Keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we, we need to talk about that. So we did. Oh, that's right. We did. Never mind. Um, uh, yes. It's going to turn into the Drew's a terrible person segment pretty quickly here. Dude, it's been a long day. Yeah. Everyone's going to be like, why is he so sad today? Um, but that's all I got, man. But. Uh, that was another good round. If you guys have questions or if you have a good Brad story, send it in to us. Yeah. We'd like to answer some questions, uh, not just, you know, answer to each other's questions. So if you have any questions uh, and you'd like some clarifying or some opinions, we have plenty of those. Yeah. Alcohol pundits. Alcohol pundits. Chris and Drew. That's right. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. The Good Bottle Podcast was recorded at the Good Bottle Shop in Sacramento, California. Music is by Leon Moore and Chase Moore. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Good Bottle Podcast.